Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Face in the Target by G.K. Chesterton, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 3. Hello, these are Burke's big game rifles, said Fisher. I never knew he kept them here. He lifted one of them, examined it briefly, and put it down again, frowning heavily. Almost as he did so, a strange young man came hurriedly into the room. He was dark and sturdy, with a bumpy forehead and a bulldog jaw, and he spoke with a curt apology. "'I left Major Burke's guns here,' he said, "'and he wants them packed up. He's going away tonight.' And he carried off the two rifles without casting a glance at the stranger. Through the open window they could see his short, dark figure walking away across the glimmering garden. Fisher got out the window again and stood looking after him. "'That's Halkett, whom I told you about,' he said. 
I knew he was a sort of secretary and had to do with Burke's papers, but I never knew he had anything to do with his guns. But he's just the sort of silent, sensible little devil who might be very good at anything. The sort of man you know for years before you find he's a chess champion. He had begun to walk in the direction of the disappearing secretary, and they soon came within sight of the rest of the house party talking and laughing on the lawn. They could see the tall figure and loose mane of the lion hunter dominating the little group. By the way, observed Fisher, when we were talking about Burke and Halkett, I said that a man couldn't very well write with a gun. Well, I'm not so sure now. Did you ever hear of an artist so clever that he could draw with a gun? There's a wonderful chap loose about here. Sir Howard hailed Fisher and his friend the journalist with almost boisterous amiability. The latter was presented to Major Burke and Mr. Halkett and also, by way of a parenthesis, to his host, Mr. Jenkins, a commonplace little man in loud tweeds, whom everybody else seemed to treat with a sort of affection, as if he were a baby. The irrepressible Chancellor of the Exchequer was still talking about the birds he had brought down, the birds that Burke and Halkett had brought down, and the birds that Jenkins, their host, had failed to bring down. It seemed to be a sort of sociable monomania. "'You and your big game!' he ejaculated aggressively to Burke. "'Why, anybody could shoot big game. You want to be a shot to shoot small game!' "'Quite so!' interposed Horn Fisher. "'Now, if only a hippopotamus could fly up in the air out of that bush, or you preserved flying elephants on the estate, why, then—' "'Why, even Jinx might hit that sort of bird!' cried Sir Howard, hilariously slapping his host on the back. "'Even he might hit a haystack or a hippopotamus.' "'Look here, you fellows,' said Fisher. "'I want you to come along with me for a minute and shoot at something else. "'Not a hippopotamus. "'Another kind of queer animal I have found on the estate. "'It's an animal with three legs and one eye, "'and it's all the colours of the rainbow.' "'What the deuce are you talking about?' asked Burke. "'You come along and see.' replied Fisher cheerfully. Such people seldom reject anything nonsensical, for they are always seeking for something new. They gravely rearmed themselves from the gunroom and trooped along at the tail of their guide, Sir Howard only pausing in a sort of ecstasy to point out the celebrated gilt summer-house on which the gilt-weather cock still stood crooked. It was dusk, turning to dark by the time they reached the remote green by the poplars and accepted the new and aimless game of shooting at the old mark. The last light seemed to fade from the lawn, and the poplars against the sunset were like great plumes upon a purple hearse, when the futile procession finally curved round and came out in front of the target. Sir Howard again slapped his host on the shoulder, shoving him playfully forward to take the first shot. The shoulder and arm he touched seemed unnaturally stiff and angular. Mr. Jenkins was holding his gun in an attitude more awkward than any that his satiric friends had seen or expected. At the same instant, a horrible scream seemed to come from nowhere. It was so unnatural and so unsuited to the scene 
that it might have been made by some inhuman thing flying on wings above them or eavesdropping in the dark woods beyond. But Fisher knew that it had started and stopped on the pale lips of Jefferson Jenkins of Montreal. And no one at that moment catching sight of Jefferson Jenkins's face would have complained that it was commonplace. The next moment a torrent of guttural but good-humoured oaths came from Major Burke as he and the two other men saw what was in front of them. The target stood up in the dim grass like a dark goblin, grinning at them. And it was literally grinning. It had two eyes like stars, and in similar livid points of light were picked the two upturned and open nostrils, and the two ends of the wide and tight mouth. A few white dots above each eye indicated the hoary eyebrows, and one of them ran upward almost erect. It was a brilliant caricature done in bright dotted lines, and March knew of whom. It shone in the shadowy grass, smeared with sea fire as if one of the submarine monsters had crawled into the twilight garden. But it had the head of a dead man. "'It's only luminous paint,' said Burke. "'Old Fisher's been having a joke with that phosphorescent stuff of his.' "'Seems to be meant for old Puggy,' observed Sir Howard. "'Hits him off very well.' With that they all laughed, except Jenkins. When they had all done, he made a noise like the first effort of an animal to laugh. And Horn Fisher suddenly strode across to him and said, "'Mr. Jenkins, I must speak to you at once in private.' It was by the little watercourse in the moors, on the slope under the hanging rock, that March met his new friend Fisher by appointment, shortly after the ugly and almost grotesque scene that had broken up the group in the garden. "'It was a monkey trick of mine,' observed Fisher gloomily, putting phosphorus on the target. "'But the only chance to make him jump was to give him the horrors suddenly. "'And when he saw the face he'd shot at shining on the target he practiced on, "'all lit up with an infernal light, he did jump. "'Quite enough for my own intellectual satisfaction. "'I'm afraid I don't quite understand even now,' said March. "'exactly what he did or why he did it.' "'You ought to,' replied Fisher, with his rather dreary smile. "'For you gave me the first suggestion yourself. "'Oh, yes, you did, and it was a very shrewd one. "'You said a man wouldn't take sandwiches with him to dine at a great house. "'It was quite true, and the inference was that, "'though he was going there, he didn't mean to dine there. "'Or at any rate,' that he might not be dining there. It occurred to me at once that he probably expected the visit to be unpleasant, or the reception doubtful, or something that would prevent his accepting hospitality. Then it struck me that Turnbull was a terror to certain shady characters in the past, and that he had come down to identify and denounce one of them. The chances at the start pointed to the host, that is, Jenkins, I'm morally certain now that Jenkins was the undesirable alien Turnbull wanted to convict in another shooting affair. But you see, the shooting gentleman had another shot in his locker. But you said he would have to be a very good shot, protested March. Jenkins is a very good shot, said Fisher. A very good shot who can pretend to be a very bad shot. 
Shall I tell you the second hint I hit on after yours to make me think it was Jenkins? It was my cousin's account of his bad shooting. He'd shot a cockade off a hat and a weathercock off a building. Now, in fact, a man must shoot very well indeed to shoot so badly as that. He must shoot very neatly to hit the cockade and not the head or even the hat. If the shots had really gone at random, the chances are a thousand to one that they would not have hit such prominent and picturesque objects. They were chosen because they were prominent and picturesque objects. They make a story to go the round of society. He keeps the crooked weathercock in the summer house to perpetuate the story of a legend. And then he lay in wait with his evil eye and wicked gun, safely ambushed behind the legend of his own incompetence. But there is more than that. There is the summer house itself. I mean, there is the whole thing. There's all that Jenkins gets chaffed about, the gilding and the gaudy colors and all the vulgarity that's supposed to stamp him as an upstart. Now, as a matter of fact, upstarts generally don't do this. God knows there's enough of them in society and one knows them well enough. And this is the very last thing they do. They're generally only too keen to know the right thing to do and do it. And they instantly put themselves, body and soul, into the hands of art decorators and art experts, who do the whole thing for them. There's hardly another millionaire alive who has the moral courage to have a gilt monogram on a chair like that one in the gun room. For that matter, there's the name as well as the monogram. Names like Tompkins and Jenkins and Jinx are funny, without being vulgar. I mean, they are vulgar without being common. If you prefer it, they are commonplace without being common. They are just the names to be chosen to look ordinary. But they are really rather extraordinary. Do you know many people called Tompkins? It's a good deal rarer than Talbot. It's pretty much the same with the comic clothes of the parvenu. Jenkins dresses like a character in Punch. But that's because he is a character in Punch. I mean, he's a fictitious character. He's a fabulous animal. He doesn't exist. Have you ever considered what it must be like to be a man who doesn't exist? I mean, to be a man with a fictitious character that he has to keep up at the expense not merely of personal talents, to be a new kind of hypocrite hiding a talent in a new kind of napkin. This man has chosen his hypocrisy very ingeniously. It was really a new one. A subtle villain is dressed up as a dashing gentleman and a worthy businessman and a philanthropist and a saint. But the loud checks of a comical little cad were really rather a new disguise. But the disguise must be very irksome to a man who can really do things. This is a dexterous little cosmopolitan gutter snipe who can do scores of things, not only shoot but draw and paint and probably play the fiddle. Now a man like that may find the hiding of his talents useful, but he could never help wanting to use them where they were useless. If he can draw, he will draw absent-mindedly on blotting paper. I suspect this rascal has often drawn poor old Puggy's face on blotting paper. 
Probably he began doing it in blots as he afterward did it in dots. Or rather, shots. It was the same sort of thing. He found a disused target in a deserted yard and couldn't resist indulging in a little secret shooting. Like secret drinking. You thought the shots all scattered and irregular. And so they were. But not accidental. No two distances were alike. But the different points were exactly where he wanted to put them. There's nothing needs such mathematical precision as a wild caricature. I've dabbled a little in drawing myself, and I assure you that to put one dot where you want it is a marvel with a pen close to a piece of paper. It was a miracle to do it across a garden with a gun. But a man who can work those miracles will always itch to work them, if it's only in the dark. After a while, March observed thoughtfully, But he couldn't have brought him down like a bird with one of those little guns. No, that was why I went into the gun room, replied Fisher. He did it with one of Burke's rifles, and Burke thought he knew the sound of it. That's why he rushed out without a hat looking so wild. He saw nothing but a car passing quickly, which he followed for a little way and then concluded he'd made a mistake. There was another silence, during which Fisher sat on a great stone, as motionless as on their first meeting, and watched the grey and silver river eddying past under the bushes. Then March said abruptly, Of course he knows the truth now. Nobody knows the truth but you or I, answered Fisher, with a certain softening in his voice. And I don't think you and I will ever quarrel. What do you mean? asked March in an altered accent. What have you done about it? Horn Fisher continued to gaze steadily at the eddying stream. At last he said, The police have proved it was a motor accident. But you know it was not. I told you that I know too much, replied Fisher, with his eye on the river. I know that, and I know a great many other things. I know the atmosphere and the way the whole thing works. I know this fellow has succeeded in making himself something incurably commonplace and comic. I know you can't get up a persecution of old Tool or Little Titch. If I were to tell Hogs or Halkett that old Jinx was an assassin, they would almost die of laughter before my eyes. Oh, I don't say that their laughter's quite innocent, though it's genuine in its way. They want old Jink, and they couldn't do without him. I don't say I'm quite innocent. I like Hogs. I don't want him to be down and out, and he'd be done for if Jinks can't pay for his coronet. They were devilish near the line at the last election. But the only real objection to it is that it's impossible. Nobody would believe it. It's not in the picture. The crooked weathercock would always turn it into a joke. Don't you think this is infamous? asked March quietly. I think a good many things, replied the other. If you people ever happen to blow the whole tangle of society to hell with dynamite, I don't know that the human race will be much the worse. 
But don't be too hard on me, merely because I know what society is. That's why I moon away my time over things like stinking fish. There was a pause as he settled himself down again by the stream. And then he added, I told you before, I had to throw back the big fish. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery. This has been the conclusion of The Face in the Target by G.K. Chesterton. Calm Mystery is a Murder Mystery Company production, a part of the American Immersion Theater. Scott Crampton, Executive Producer. Audra Schildhaus is our editor. If you haven't already, take a moment to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us. And from all of us here at Calm Mystery, until next time, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.